to make. And as you guys know, uh, we have been searching, we've been transitioning with our, the leadership for the, the worship team, the, the music team. Ted and Emily have given uh, selfishly, selflessly, I should say, of their time uh, for, for five years helping lead this team. Uh, and they are seeking to transition, and we've been looking for a while, and we're happy to say that uh, Ty and Keely, uh, if you stand up so people know you guys, they were just worshiping here. They, they joined our church, uh, I think, six months ago, around something like that, and then they, uh, they uh, have been on the team for a while, and they, we kind of approached them and said, hey, would you be interested in, in taking that leadership role? And so now they're in the middle of that transition where Ted and Emily are handing off the reins to, to Ty and Keely. And so you guys can be praying for them, giving the, you, them your support uh, and all that stuff. And then if you guys are interested in ever being part of the music team or the back in the back with the AV team, you can let them know and, and take those steps. And so, yeah. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into his word. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, that we can come before you as your community of faith, as we can come before you as your people and open up your word and know you, that we can read the Bible and get a glimpse of who you are and how you love us, that we can see how you have not only saved us, but how you apply the gospel to our lives and how we should respond with all of who we are. Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word and we are in the book of Galatians that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts that we can see you, know you, and respond to you. Lord, we love you and we seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Bible is filled with testimonies. It's filled with testimonies of grace, testimonies of of witnesses of people who have experienced life change or experienced God's grace. And when you think about it, the majority of all of these stories that we read in the Bible, the crazy stories, the stories that you heard on Sunday morning when you were a kid with the flannel graph, all these stories that maybe you even think are like outrageous or maybe are defy logic, these stories in large part are stories of testimonies of grace, about how God has saved people, not because of what they've done or who they are, but he saves them because of his love and his grace. We see that again and again. Just think through these big stories, especially in the Old Testament, where we see Abraham, who was not a God-knower, but living in a dark pagan land of Ur, and yet he was called from that to become the father of God's people. Think about Jacob, who was a schemer, a trickster, who tricked his brother out of his birthright, and yet now he is called by God, and he becomes Israel, the foundation for God's people for the next chapter. We see Moses, who was a murderer and fleeing for his life, who, who from his self-words, was stumbled over his words and was a, was, couldn't speak well, yet he was called back to go back to his people to become God's mouthpiece. We see judges, who were cowards, now become God's leaders for his people. We see common men in the New Testament who called out of their lives now to become the followers of God, of, of Jesus, and who would shake the foundations of the world, again and again we see this, testimonies of grace throughout the Bible. That God calls people and changes people to work on his behalf, to be his people. And these stories are not so much about the greatness of these people. In fact, the stories are about how they're not that great. 
But the stories are about how God, our mighty God, is great and loves us and pours grace upon us. And when we come to the book of Galatians, we see another testimony of grace as we see Paul start to talk about his own life and how God called him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you don't, have no worries, it'll be on the screen behind us. But we're going to pick up in verse uh, 10 and read to the end of the chapter. And so this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and he says this in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other than the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Scythia, and, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. When I look at that text, when I examine what Paul is saying in that passage, I just kind of could summarize it like this. The gospel calls us to a transformed life. That's what Paul is saying. He's kind of outlining his life, how he was called by God, how he saw Jesus Christ and, and the, what the results that happened in his life. He's speaking about this, about how, hey, I'm establishing my authority because Christ called me and sent me on this mission, but at the same time, he's giving us this great testimony about grace, about how grace worked in his life and how grace works in our lives as well. It's a great example about how God meets someone where they are and that because he meets them where they are, they are changed and live this new life. That this gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ about how he saved us, how he uh, gave himself on the cross for our sins and brings us to a place of righteousness, right standing before God, that good news results in a change in our life. That we're transformed. That we're regenerated. We're born again. We're made new. We are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of His Son. We are transformed because of the gospel. The gospel calls us to a transformed life. I think you see that throughout this passage. Starting right in verse 10, when he talks about how he's not seeking to please men, but he's a servant of God. You gotta love the Bible. When we read this Bible, we have these headings in our Bibles, and sometimes they break up sections, and people can look at those and think those are the logical uh, segments that you can break. And you know, a large part we 
shouldn't argue with that. But those headings were actually not in the original Bible. They're man-made, and so we can kind of go, ah, which is why you can see I actually concluded verse 10 with this section rather than the passage that came before. And I did that because I believe it's that linking passage between, that linking verse between what came before, what we studied last week, and what we're talking about this week. If you remember, if, if you were here last week, we talked about how Paul was, was saying how he stands firm on this gospel and let, don't listen to any other gospel, that there is no other gospel besides, besides Jesus Christ. And so he was saying, don't listen to anyone who, if they came preaching that, how can he stand so firm on this truth? Because he's not seeking to please men, but he's a servant of God. If Paul was seeking to please man, if people came and were giving him flack about what he was preaching, or if they came and they were kind of raising support to go this way, he would go with the flow. You say, oh, that's okay. We can, we can agree to follow this. We can add on to the gospel. We can listen to what he says. If he was seeking to please men, men people pleasers, seek to not you know, uh, tilt the boat, rock the boat. They seek to want peace rather than the truth. But yet he says, I'm not seeking to please men. Rather, I am a servant of God. I stand firm on this truth. And so he was able to stand firm. So it links what came before, but also reaches into what comes next in verses 11 and 12. Why is he able to stand firm on this truth? Because the gospel does not come from men. It comes from God. Paul is seeking to establish his authority here and opposed to these false teachers that were coming after him. And remember the context of Galatia, of the book of Galatians, is Paul hears that these churches that he helped plant that were flourishing in the gospel, these false teachers were coming in now, these Judaizers, these people teaching that you have to first become a Jew before you become Christian, you have to follow the Jewish laws. They were kind of distorting Christ in his gospel. And so he's writing against this, and he's saying basically, look, listen to what I'm saying, because what the gospel I preach, it comes from God. That is the source of it. Not what these people are coming who are coming and teaching you man-made things. And so he's able to stay on track to be able to say, I am not a people pleaser, but I'm a servant of God. Why? Because he knows the gospel he's preaching comes from God. But we can just look at that verse in verse 10 about not seeking to please men, but seeking to be a servant of God or a servant of Christ. And we can ask that really easy question that kind of boils up there. It's kind of a hard question, though. Are we seeking to please people? Or are we living our life in such a way that we're seeking to please Christ? Seeking to be a servant of Christ? I think when we read a verse like that, we have to ask ourselves, are we standing in line with Paul, who is firm and committed to the truth of the gospel? Or are we standing in the ways of the world where we're looking upon what the world believes or what the people believe around us and willing not to rock the boat but kind of going with the flow. And we need to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, am I seeking to be a servant of Christ in every context I find myself? Or am I seeking to be a man pleaser, a people pleaser, going with the flow, not rocking the boat? That's a serious question. If it makes you despair, or it makes you cringe, or it makes you even almost a little lose hope, I would say, wait a minute, 
It's encouragement to look upon Christ and live for Him. But if you lose hope or if you're despairing because that's not you, your hope is not found in how well you can be a servant of Christ. Your hope is not found in how well you cannot be a people pleaser. Your hope is found in Christ and Christ alone and what he has done for you. And so this is now encouragement now because he has saved you, because he has brought you from that dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now we serve him. And we can stand firm with Paul, but we, all, we know we do it imperfectly and we stumble and fall on that. So hopefully the community of Christ can come around us and encourage us to serve him and not seek to please others. The gospel calls us to a transformed life, even transforming who we seek to serve as we become servants of Christ. But as I said, this also links to what comes behind in verses 11 through 12 about how Paul says, hey, the gospel does not come from men. It comes from God. That Paul is saying this, hey, you should listen to me. Why? Not because I'm following these man-made traditions or, or looking to lead you or sent by some community, but I'm, you should listen to me because I'm preaching to you what God himself gave to me. As I said, he's, Paul is kind of establishing his bona fides, his authority. Hey, you should listen to me. Why? Because Christ himself met me and he taught me these things and now I'm bringing them to you as opposed to those other people who are bringing you things created by man and the traditions of their fathers and they're being sent out by community. No, I come from God and so you should listen to me. So he's establishing his authority there, but he's also stressing the trustworthiness of the gospel. The gospel should be listened to. The gospel which she had held on to, it should be cherished because it's the gospel that was given to us by God. It's the gospel that changes our life. It's the gospel that has the power of salvation for all who believe. It's the gospel that brings us from being sinners and now into saints. It's the gospel that transforms us when we believe in what Jesus has done for us. And so he's establishing the trustworthiness of it. That we don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to augment it. We don't need to bring our best to it to help it fulfill what it is. No, the gospel does it, and we believe in what Christ has done for us and how he saves us. Paul's saying, look at where the source comes on what my teaching is. The source is God himself. As we know, the right source for things matters. Where we get our information matters. I mean, this in our day and age, I was just thinking this morning, this in our day and age, we can hear so many things through social media or through outlets, news outlets, and you know what the source of where that's coming from truly matters because it can lead us down some weird way, ways of thinking. But the right source for information matters. I was thinking, we, uh, we took a big road trip this summer down to the beach, it was my brother and his family in, in one car, my parents in another car, and my wife and my family in our car. And so we had three cars caravanning down to the beach, and we had five phones navigating us down to the beach. And it seemed like, especially when we got down to Mobile, five phones were giving us different routes to the beach. And it's almost like, well, who, who do you listen to? And like, you know, uh, we got stuck in traffic when one phone actually went out and beat us all there by you know, 30 minutes, and it's like, ah, like, why, like, what phone, what source do you listen to? And you can go out, well, are they using Google Maps, or are they using iPhone Maps? And kind of look at that source, and it gets all confusing. Who's got better maps? 
But Paul is stressing to us that while there's confusion in these things of the world, there should be no confusion in the gospel because it comes from God himself. That's the source that we know of. So we can ask ourselves, where do we get our beliefs? How do we know what we know? Do we look for you know, confirmation, or do we believe the ways of the world opposed to God? Do we believe the ways of our culture? Is that where we get our beliefs? Do we look for them to those things for confirmation on how we should live our life or how we should operate in this world? Or do we go to God's Word and look for what He has to tell us about how we should live in this world? That where should we go to to believe what we know we should believe? And this says the gospel calls us to a transformed life, so we should listen to it. We should listen to God as he leads us. And the bulk of this passage is Paul relating the beginning of his story. He's relating about that transformed life that he experienced. He's relating his conversion and his transformation. If we look at verses uh, 15 and 16, we kind of, I would argue, we see his conversion being kind of explained about how he came to know who Christ was. As we read about how he was living one way, but then he says in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, everything changed. I love that little statement of conversion there. And I love it for many reasons because if you've ever heard me, you probably know where I'm going right now because I love it because it starts with but. And I am convinced the gospel is a big but. And it's the biggest and greatest but we can ever see. It's beautiful. Because the gospel is that but God. We were living our life in one way. We're going astray. We're doing this. We were living for ourselves, but God saves us. We were sinners, destined to be set apart from God forever. On our own, we're doomed. But God loved us and sent His Son to die for us. If you read the New Testament, look for the buts, because when you see the buts, you see the good news is coming. And I love that because we use buts as those words of rescue. Think about just in normal examples in life, we use these buts as words of, of, of a change happening. We can say, the other team scored a touchdown, but there was a flag on the play, so we have hope, right? We can, we can use those words of, oh, I got in a car crash, but no one was hurt. It's these words of rescues in it. Same thing with the gospel. We were living for ourselves, but God loved us in spite of ourselves and calls us to himself. So the conversion story of Paul starts with this but. And our conversion, every single one of us who believe in Jesus Christ, starts with that but. You were doing something. We were living somehow but God. Paul relays that big but, what it looks like. He says, but when he who set me apart before I was born, that Paul has no misconception about how God planned his life. He says, 
when he, talking about God, set me apart before I was born. That God had a plan for Paul in that very instance to become this great missionary. This language, set me apart before I was born, it, it leans into some of those uh, deeper theological issues like election and predestination and how God saves those who he says and how, uh, how God does not save some others. And, and we can look at that and we can maybe get kind of into some deep waters and, and we can talk about that if we want. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. If you want to dig into that, I would help you dig into that through the Bible. But I don't think that, I just don't want to highlight those. I want to highlight on this big, important fact that Paul is convinced that God had a plan for him. And I believe the same is true for every single one of us. And we can argue about how he achieves that plan, but the fact is that he has that plan for us. Which, listen to that and understand what that means. That Paul can look upon his life and he can see where he was and he sees where he is now and he sees where he's going and he knows what he's going to set before him and he can still say, God set me apart for this task, for this life right now and he did that before I was even born and he takes comfort in that and it gives him surety about who he is. And the same should be true for each one of us that when you think about God, we know that we're not plan B, that we were not some oversight, that we somehow did not slip through the cracks, or he sometimes does not know who we are, but he knew you before you were born, and he set you apart before you were born, and he has you where he has you because he wants you where you are. And he wants you in his family, and if you have called upon Christ, you are in his family, and so you can say this with certainty, he has set me apart, and he did this before even the foundations of the earth, and we can praise him because of that, because he has a plan for me. That's how big our God is. That's how the Bible continues to talk about God and how he saves us. And what that should do for us is not give us a sense of pride, somehow we did this, shouldn't give us some kind of puffed upness. No, because he saves us in spite of ourselves. As Paul is talking even about his own testimony, we see that true. That we do nothing to earn it, but yet God saves us and so it fills us with a sense of joy, of worship of praise as we look upon our Savior who has a plan that we were not an afterthought and he will not somehow forget us. But he says us apart to save us just like he did with Paul. And how did he save Paul? He says, who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. He was called, Paul was called by grace that he saves not based on what Paul has done, but because he saves and he loves Paul. And he reveals that to him by his son. As we know Paul's story, he saw Jesus Christ. He saw the truthfulness. In the same way that Paul was changed or was, was converted by being, by being called by grace and being revealed to him, uh, the Son, is the same for us as well. For all of us are called by grace. What it means is that when we're called to know God, God does not call to us and say, get better, do better, do more. Get your act together, and then you can come to know. We're called by grace. He says, in spite of yourself, while you're in the muck, I'm going to reach down and pull you out because I love you. And now you're going to become mine. 
and your whole life is changed. We're called by grace, not because of what we've done, but because Christ has done it for us. And so we can say we're called by grace. And how we're called by grace is when we get that glimpse of who Jesus is. Paul got that glimpse on the Damascus Road and it knocked him on his butt as he saw the glory of Christ, of this resurrected Christ who now dwells in heaven with God. And we get that sense, we get that vision of who Christ is when we read his word, when we see the truth of who God is displayed for us, how he's moved throughout history, and we see the culmination of all God's promises now being the pinnacle of Jesus Christ being fulfilled in Christ, and we see that Son, and we realize who He is, and we realize what God has done throughout history to save us, and we see Him, and we realize we're called by grace, and we respond to Him. And we, are, we see the Son as revealed to us when someone preaches that good news to us, when someone shows us that truth in the Word. And so just like Paul, we are converted as we're called, and the Son is revealed to us. And then just like Paul, we are transformed because of that. Just look at his testimony. I love how Paul kind of just glosses over. He goes, yeah, you know who I was, right? I, was, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You guys. I, he's saying to the church in Galatia, I would have locked you up and thought nothing of it. I would have locked you up and thought I was pleasing God. He was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. He was soaring in Judaism. He was trained by one of the best-known rabbis. He was one of those big new voices on the scene. He had a bright future in Judaism. That's who he was. And that's where that but entered in. But then who is he now writing this letter to the church in Galatia? He's now a missionary who has endured beatings, for the sake of Christ, who's endured being locked up for the sake of Christ, who's had a hit put on him by the same people who thought he was the rising star of Judaism, all for the sake of Christ. That Paul speaks of this transformation when he went really from a terrorist to now an evangelist. When he went to a persecutor, now to a missionary for Christ. This is the transformation that he is speaking of that happens when the gospel grabs hold of you. It changes you. And the same thing is true for each of us who believe in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, mine's not that dramatic. No, it might not be. But the transformation is real. Because fundamentally a great miracle happens when Christ grabs hold of your life is that you go from sinner a rebel against the most high God, spitting in God's face to now a faithful servant of God, a son of God, or a daughter of God, who is loved by God and wants to serve God. There cannot be a greater transformation than that. No matter what that looks like in your life, that transformation is a miracle of God's grace changing us because the gospel has grabbed hold of our lives. That a, the gospel calls us to a transformed Life doesn't leave us where God found us, but changes us to become servants of the Most High. And these transformed lives of believers make people glorify God because they see the reality and the power of the gospel at work. That's how Paul ends this section. He says, And I was still known in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, 
He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. That Paul says these churches in Judea who haven't met him in person, but they hear through the grapevine that Paul, that Saul, that guy who is persecuting the church, who is locking up our brothers, who is taking our family away, he's now preaching Christ and him crucified. He's been changed. And what did they do? They glorified God because of him, because of that testimony. They glorified God because of that testimony. They said, this is truly what the gospel is. It can change someone. It can take a Paul and make him this missionary. It can take this guy who is persecuting the church, who's locking up Christians, and now make him one of us, not just one of us, but willing now to endure that suffering, endure that locking up, enduring that beating, all so Christ can be made known. This is the power of the gospel because it shows a transformed life in our lives, in Paul's life. And the same thing is true for us, that when people see the gospel working out in our lives, when they see us, if you ever run across a friend who maybe knew you before you are a Christian, and then they bump into you now, or if maybe if people just look at you suddenly and say, hey, something's different about you, this gradual change that happens, that's that transformation that's happening because of the gospel that has reached down to your deepest roots, it's given you a new identity in Christ, it's now changing you from the inside out, bit by bit, as the gospel overcomes how you used to think, how you used to operate, how you used to treat people, and now you're being transformed for Christ, and you're living a different life, and people see that, and they have to praise God because of it. Because you did not do that. You did not read a good self-hope book and set your life in order. No, Christ has changed you. And they see the power of the gospel at work. And the only one who gets glory is God who does it in our lives. I can't help but think of so many other verses that talks about how, what, how we act and how we respond and how we follow God that the glory goes to God. Matthew 5.16 you know, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, you know, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Because when people see people living out their faith, what do they, should they do? Is they realize this does not come from them It comes from God, and God gets the glory. The gospel calls us to a transformed life so that we can have those stories, those testimonies of grace that people can see and respond to. So we can ask, what is your story? What is your testimony? Do you have one of those testimonies of grace? And I kind of mentioned it before, but sometimes we can look at Paul or maybe we can look at some, some people we know who have one of those big dramatic changes in their life and we can almost feel insecure. Now, I grew up in the church. I came to know Christ at a very young age. And so some, growing up in that, it's, it's funny, people ask me all the testimony, I'm like, well, it's kind of boring. I've kind of always been in the church. But when you kind of talk about there's still power there because it's still the truth of the testimony of how I was changed. At a very young age, I was changed. He grabbed hold of me, and that change has worked itself out again and again where I have fallen and I I have messed up or I slipped, and and I have to grow in the grace that God has given me through my life. But I can look back on it and say that's still a testimony of grace of how God has worked in my life. And it's still as great as the miracle of someone who who was wayward as an adult and came to know Christ. Christ and totally transformed 
their life. So I say that to encourage you. So no matter where you are, think about what your testimony is. And if you know Christ, you have a testimony of grace. If you know Christ, you can see and relate to what Paul says, that there was a change when the gospel got hold of you. It might have been a gradual process, or it might have been that one kind of point, but there was that change that you can look back upon now and reflect about how he changes you. And if that's you, I'll challenge you. Share that testimony with someone who needs to hear about who Jesus Christ is. This week, think about someone in your life who needs to hear the truth of how the gospel is powerful, the gospel can save us, the gospel brings us to God. Share the truth of how that gospel impacted your life with someone. And if you don't have that, if you don't know Christ or don't have that testimony, I would urge you to look again to Christ. See him for how he's revealed through his word. Reflect upon what he is and how he has saved his people. And see really what you believe about him. Because if you look upon him, I'm convinced you'll see him for who he is. And you can respond to him. The gospel calls us to a transformed life. Let's live as servants of Christ in all that we do because he has saved us through his good news of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your gospel, the truth of how you save us, the truth of how you work in our lives, the truth of how you came to us when we did not deserve it. And you revealed yourself, your grace through your Son, and you called us home. Lord, I pray for everyone here who knows Christ that they can be rest assured in how He has saved them. That they can respond by being willing to share that truth with everyone who needs to hear it. And I pray for anyone who does not know the truth of Christ, they can look upon Him again and know Him for who He is and respond with all that they are. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand again.